Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Julian Rodriguez, co-founder and CEO of Momento NFT. He's also a serial entrepreneur, product manager, and innovation-focused strategist. Julian, thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to this conversation. Tell us what you do. Yeah, so uh, at Momento, we help, uh, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Momento. We help influencers, celebrities, and athletes turn their short-form video and image content into NFTs instantaneously from their mobile phones. Awesome. And and when did you f- found Momento? How long has it been? So we founded Momento in 2021. Um yeah, we were uh, uh, officially live in both Apple and Android stores since April. Fantastic. Okay, so take us back. You've had a lot of experience in, in the industry, and I'm really uh, interested in knowing uh, about what you've done over the years. So take us back to either high school or college and, and tell us uh, about your experience. Yeah, um, you know, I've always, you know, I'm, I'm one of those kids that I think was, directly influenced by like, you know, so Steve Jobs had a campaign to get computers into public school systems. And uh, so I'm not sure if he donated or subsidized, but there were a lot of machines that went out to like public school systems in like uh, sort of suburban uh, areas. One of those suburban areas was out in Long Island, the Long Island School District. And um, I, every single year between being picked or volunteering ended up uh, in front of the computer for an inordinate amount of time. Um, and so my introduction to computers, I mean, I just I just always had a computer around. Uh, my first computer was uh, 1994, uh, Windows 95, Packard Bell, uh, right? And uh, yeah, it was just a thing that was part of my life, right? So I'm an only child, so it was just, in my house, it was just me and the computer, um, you know? And I, you know, my mom was okay with that, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I, I never, I always saw the world through a lens of, right, I guess what people would call sort of automation, because in schools, a lot of this were, the computers were used sort of for instructional purposes, but eventually what you began to understand as a person, as a young person interacting with the computer is this is on a routine, right? If I just do this over and over and over again, I can guess or, or uh, estimate what the answers are going to be, right? Like I, I know all the logic, and so I I think that that in is sort of internal, right? Like relationship with the computers really made me look at the world in a different way, right? Um, and I wasn't aware of that difference until college, uh, right? So you know, when I got to college, there were just a lot of people who just uh, had really their lives had nothing to do with computers, and they saw the world mm-hmm. in a, in a total different way. And uh, that's when I kind of realized, like, hey, I should probably major in computer science. Right? I, I, uh, I went to school originally for finance, to be honest. Uh, right, Wall Street is like such a huge, has such a huge gravitas in New York, and so I ended up going to Fordham, uh, which you know was a traditional sort of business kind of uh, leaning focused school. And um, you know, I had so I had, I had kind of a couple friends that had done well at startups, right? So the idea of startups had came to New York at that time. And they were, you know, they were in that ecosystem. They were having a ton of fun. And um, actually what what really changed my mind was uh, the Facebook movie. (laughs) So the Facebook movie came out 
And uh, when I saw that, I said, man, Mark is great. This guy's great. You know, I want to do that. And um, yeah, I think that that started uh, or was like the final sort of nail in a coffin for finance out and computer science in. Uh, and then, you know, at college, it just was, we were in the middle of that time of a lot of different sort of macro trends and, and changes in the economy. Most specifically, we were just coming out of sort of the recession. And in New York in particular, there was a lot of like this Occupy Wall Street angst, right? And I think in that climate, you know, between, I don't know, right? So I'm the generation that like brought back the Che Guevara shirts and you know, it was all this idea of sort of revolution and sort of counter element that a, a lot of young people have that combined with Occupy Wall Street and things like that in the technical world, I think is really what ended up sparking that initial move towards Bitcoin, right? The idea that you could have a decentralized sovereign uh, sort of financial system that was open, transparent and global. Uh, and self-governed, right? I, I think that that's what really brought a lot of people into the fold. And so no better place than New York to just find the most eccentric sort of people, right? A collection of people of all ranges and backgrounds. And that's exactly what happened, right? Um, you know, so I, I I had the good fortune. I reached out to, uh, they were a magazine at the time, a physical print magazine, the Bitcoin magazine. And the, uh, the co-founder there was Vitalik. So Vitalik founded the Bitcoin magazine. And at the time he was a sophomore in college. I was a, I was a senior. And, uh, you know, we just, you know, it's just one of those conversations where it just clicked. It's like, yeah, everything you're saying is what I'm saying. I agree. Let's do this. Right. And uh, I start working at the magazine and it was a combination of uh, editing and reviewing uh, some, you know, some of the articles, which at the time Vitalik wrote about 80% of them by himself. Uh, and then helping the physical distribution of the magazine in and around New York City. So everything from Wall Street to Chinatown, parts of Brooklyn, right? It was just, we, we, we wanted New York to know that Bitcoin was here. And uh, it ended up uh, pretty much, I think the culmination of that was the Bitcoin Center down on Wall Street with uh, Nick Spanos. And uh, when that space opened up, Man, it was uh right, like it was crazy. <laughs> you know, people were coming through with Google Glass. It just it just seems like we were in a different entirely world. And uh, you know, everything was open and, and there were people uh there there were people starting other crypto startups, working on other chains, uh, right in that space altogether. And it was pretty much amazing. Um eventually in the Bitcoin magazine, uh Vitalik you know poured his focus into what would become Ethereum which originally was a six page, it was a research paper, a six page spread that we released in the magazine and uh, people just absolutely loved it. And so Vitalik went to a conference in Miami and that's when he unveiled it to the world as sort of, sort of Ethereum, uh, which at the time was more designed to be sort of an OS for blockchain, right? Vitalik de definitely saw this world where you were able to run applications on the blockchain and allow people to do a bunch of different things in a, again, decentralized self-governing sort of fashion. And, uh, you know, at the time it was, it was, it was kind of controversial. Uh, there was only Bitcoin, right? And so what Vitalik was proposing was akin to heresy. And, you know, someone so close to Bitcoin, I mean, he's the co-founder of the Bitcoin magazine. It was just like a, a, a huge seismic shift. 
Um, so, you know, in the middle of that, I, um, I was still young. I was, I was now fresh out of school and, uh, I decided, Hey, look, you know what? I, I just, I, I want to go, you know, a, a couple of individuals, people that I knew. So Charlie Shrem ended up, uh, going to jail, right. Wrapped up in the Silk Road sort of tax issues that were happening at the time. And, uh, to be honest, I mean, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know if I was next. I didn't know if I was on the list. I know, you know, and uh, Lossky had his, you know, his hearing, his bit license sort of hearing. And uh, it just seemed to be, you know, kind of caving in, right? Like on all sides, um, attacking sort of like the idea of what we wanted to achieve. And so I think I decided to just double down into general tech culture, right? More looking towards Silicon Valley, right? So like, how do people start startups, grow and scale startups? without going to jail, right? Like, you know, and um, yeah, I, you know, I, I joined a startup and then in 2016, I started my own first venture back startup. I had nothing to do with crypto. Uh, at this point, the market was now sort of in a lull again. Uh, and um, we were a B2B wholesale marketplace here in New York City, kind of like fresh direct for the restaurants and supermarkets, right? Getting them their, their, their goods. So uh, super difficult industry. We had trucks, we had pickers, packers. Uh, it was last mile, just in time deliveries, razor thin margins. Uh, it definitely made me a better entrepreneur, uh, but I don't miss it. <laughs> I'll say that. I'm much, much happier running a, a crypto startup in 2022. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it was a great, I think it was a great learning experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, right. So Corona hit and um, I think, people's perspectives about how much time they're going to spend online and how they felt about digital ownership just immediately changed, right? This was also on the backs of something that was already starting up in late 2019, which was the advent of TikTok, right? TikTok really took over late 2020 because of COVID, but it was already kind of starting to, to, to move in that direction. And so the idea of the career economy was a very compelling idea, right? Like that's when we started hearing rumors late 2019 uh, they would ask high school kids, uh, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And instead of the traditional fireman, astronaut kind of answers, they were saying, I want to be YouTube famous, you know? And so that's when like, you know, that, that wasn't a fluke. Like this was like, this was like the edge sort of news of what everyone in the generation was really thinking and feeling. And so that turned into the creator economy, right? Uh, we saw instances of it with Vine. I mean, the Logan brothers made their entire career on Vine, honestly, and then transferred over, uh, brought it over to YouTube, and then now sort of has spread to, to, to TikTok. And, and now we see the world through short form video. So I think for me, it was a combination of putting together a lot of the ideas that we had reviewed and understood going back to the Bitcoin magazine and seeing the relevant uh, information about the creator economy and about sort of the digital ownership, right? Like, or always online sort of native, right? Uh, people. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that pretty much came together and that's why we uh, ended up building momentum. Well, wow, that, that's a really impressive background and super special, right? I mean, very few people get the chance to be uh, involved with Bitcoin at that stage, particularly with Vitalik, right? Um, and and have that story to tell. So you have all this experience from your other startups. You've started Memento. 
tell us what Momento is um, and what makes it different. Yeah, so we are pretty much the TikTok of Web3, right? Um, so we mix some elements from sort of Patreon, Cameo, things that we have seen have worked in what we call uh, Web 2.5, right? Where Web 2.0 was all about likes and views. Web 2.5 has sort of moved into uh, tipping uh, and gifting, right? So the idea is uh, you see some content that you like, you directly contribute to that creator. Right, but we can take that a step full, uh, 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 further into actual ownership of the content and full control of the content by the creator themselves, right? And so that's kind of where you see uh, kind of Cameo kind of leans into that, but then just stop short because it's more of a gimmicky kind of like, you know, buy an interaction or, you know, buy a clip from me and I'll sort of sell it that way. It's not really the content that inspires people, right? Like they're not really in control of their moments this is sort of post-celebrity individuals on Cameo. Um, and so we attempted to really put all of that together. And I think what we do differently is we're not exactly just a crypto platform and we're definitely not a Web2 platform, right? So we are the, I guess, the cross between the two. What we really end up doing is using crypto tech, right? NFTs, blockchain, um, other tokens, uh, or blockchain tokens, to empower creators to continue to inspire their fans, right? Um, I think, right, like the worst part about what's been going on is, so Zuckerberg has gaslit us into believing that social media is about uh, just likes and follows, right? And so like the general gamut of human interactions is much larger than that. We don't do things just so people can like or approve or, or see us. Right, um, and most of, uh, of I, I think modern civilization is around inspiration, right? You look up to heroes, you look up to figures. I mean, the hero archetype is the most significant archetype mankind has ever had, right? From uh, messiah figures to gladiators, right? I mean, it, it, that, that's really what galvanizes people to do things. And so that has been absent from the internet. And so we are looking to bring that bring that online where you actually feel a direct connection. And those people uh, are, are able to finally financially uh, benefit from that legacy that they build, right? So now we hope and we encourage creators to build legacy on the internet. Got it. Okay, and, and so your competition. Yeah, so I think, right, Competition falls into sort of two buckets. It's it's kind of like um, sort of other crypto sort of related decentralized Web3 first apps, which almost always inevitably end up just going into DeFi uh, because DeFi is uh, fund management, right? I mean, you're kind of managing funds. Um, and so we didn't, you know, a lot of people will veer towards creator coins when thinking about that world. And the reason why we explicitly didn't do creator coins is because uh, it doesn't work. Uh, and 2013 was the first creator coin concept. We covered it in the magazine. Uh, it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. And it doesn't work because the incentives are misaligned between creators and their fans, right? Um, uh, creator after creator after creator came to us and said, no, I, I don't actually want to launch a coin because I don't want to sacrifice my brand and lose a fan if they happen to invest or buy at the wrong time. 
I don't want other people manipulating my fan base, right? Uh, through some sort of token offering. Uh, and it's it is very clear they're not they're not financial managers. They are content creators. And so we focus on the content. That's what we do in Moenta. We focus on the content. Um, and that's been going, uh, I think, extremely well, right? Whether it be for uh, digital collectible aspect of the content itself or to, again, gift or tip the content creator or unlock some sort of uh, additional, right, sort of a live stream or meet and greet or something like that, um, people are interacting that way. I mean, I, I, I think it makes sense, right? Like, I think most people identify, most brands identify NFTs as the future of membership, right? Uh, 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 right? And so we're starting to bring that down to the level of the individual creator. Right, because they're better. They're better equipped to manage their own brand than anyone else. Right. Um, yeah. So, so then, give us an example. A creator comes to you. How does that process start and and go to you know success? Yeah. So we tried to make it as easy and simple as possible. Uh, so the creator downloads the app on the marketplace. And starts making content. <laughs> really, that's it. So all of our features in the app are geared towards uh, helping them understand what they can and can't offer. Uh, they price their content. They pick the blockchain they want to mint on. Uh, they pick the number of NF individual NFTs in the collection, um, right? And we soon will be implementing our token, uh, which helps them maybe recruit other individuals in their fan base, right? Um, to either encourage other people sort of, uh, you know, I guess to notice or, or to buy. And we allow users to buy and sell those digital assets as well, right? Uh, so this opens up to sort of speculators or collectors, right? Or people who have the, the I guess, the time frame to wait and see if an up and coming uh, creator, I don't know, gets, gets signed to a Marvel or a Disney movie, right? Uh, right, so uh, this is definitely, I think, I think this is the next decade of where the the creator economy is going, and uh, we're excited to be first. Yeah, no, I, I that seems just really differentiated, right? And making it as easy as possible and giving these options to yeah. to folks. The question I have is: is all the content created on the platform? specific and exclusive because you know there's content everywhere we we post things on different platforms i myself do but yeah. if i was to come to you would would the, what i make for momento and on that platform would that be exclusive and unique so we honestly we leave that up to the creator uh we do run a a, a curated marketplace so we do do some partnerships with some featured creators and with them, we explain, uh, hey, look, you want to, you know, we need from you uh, exclusive content. But I think that what like other content creators, we want them to be able to take advantage of some of their old viral moments as well, right? That's the kind of the stuff that made them famous, made them who they are, is super on brand, right? And so uh, it's up to them if they decide to mint some of the historical things. I think that um, this is just a better curation tool for that content creator, right? To, to, to manage his brand and continue to engage his audience um, and sort of see, right? I mean, this is the first data point in what the actual value of their entertainment is, right? Because nowhere else on social media do you actually get that one-to-one -one factor, right? It, it has nothing to do with sort of 
eventually how entertaining your uh, video is, right? It has everything to do with the algorithms and the number of ads that want to be ran on that video at that time to XYZ demographic, right? So really the content creator has no, no insight into what their fan base kind of really wants. And they end up becoming like a, um, a video factory, right? High burnout, just trying to churn, see if they hit a wave. And really what they're trying to do, right? The algorithms can't see their content. They can just see how many people are watching at a certain time in certain places, right? So it's, it, it, it's a bad, it's overall, I think a bad balance. And, um, you know, again, we, we, we're not setting out to replace Web2. Uh, we're setting out to give the creators an alternate way to engage their audiences, right? A more effective way. And so if ultimately that ends up into them, you know, cannibalizing uh, their audience on these other platforms, it's really the fans that will be making the decision to understand that, hey, this, this, you know, the stuff on Facebook isn't exclusive content. The stuff on TikTok isn't exclusive content, right? Like, I don't want to engage there anymore. And they sort of move over organically into what we're doing. Got it. So um, if I was a very popular creator on one of the other platforms, YouTube, would I send people to Momento to um, get an NFT? Is that what, what sort of uh, your creators are doing? Yeah. So I think that that's like the low hanging fruit for them. It's just the easiest way to do it right now. Um, simply because there's no way to sell an NFT in Web2 today, they by default have to go somewhere else to buy, interact and hold that NFT, right? So every every user on our platform has a wallet, right? So everything sort of happens out of the wallet when you create a, a user account. And so this wallet is multi-purpose way beyond just its function within Momentum, right? So you can hold coins, you can hold NFTs in that wallet. And so again, it's just the natural, it just seems like the natural place where people are going to congregate around, right? And so if we build a brand that people can trust, um, that people enjoy, they will just keep using these tools, right? It's 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 one of those things where like um, the first movers typically get uh, close to about 50% market share in any market, right? So um, we, we, we definitely expect that to happen. Are you saying that uh, I could use your wallet to buy things on other platforms or, you know, in the space in general. So it could, so that's another sort of differentiation where instead of me having a, a MetaMask wallet or something, I could just use yours. Is that what you're saying? So that's where we're going. But what you can do now is transfer things that you buy on OpenSea or other places into the Momento wallet. Yes. Uh, I think I'm going to, you're going to get a new customer today. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, Tell us about one of your most successful creators. So how does how did that come about and where are they now? And and tell us that story so we can get sort of some some texture here. Yeah, man, there I have we think of success in different verticals, right? So we 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 went broad, really, right? I mean, I think when you talk about short form videos and entertainment and sort of fandom. I really think you have to go broad. I, I know a lot of people are like, hey, dig down into one vertical and whatnot, but um, things just move so laser fast, right? And the attention spans are, are much shorter nowadays that I don't think that that is a, a, a successful way to move forward. Um, and so we have athletes, professional athletes 
have done very, very well. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Jalen Suggs, uh, Zaire Wade, which is D-Wade's son. He's he's not even actually professional. He's still in the G League. Um, and he is his focus is being an influencer. I think he wants to be an influencer much more than he wants to be a basketball player. And so he's throwing up a ton of content. And I guess it's just really more natural to him, right? And his generation and his fan base, they just get it. Um, so be, besides the athletes, we have influencers that have honestly brought over thousands of users uh, from TikTok, from t- existing TikTok. I, I'm not too even sure that like the fans on TikTok are that loyal to TikTok itself. You know, I think it's just, they just see it as like a, I don't know, temporary distribution tool, um, right? Uh, I, I think, right, the creators are obviously just uh, go for distribution or, right? The problem is they're being hit really hard by that, um, right? Because what TikTok really does is it's a, it's a random viral machine, right? So everybody will kind of go viral at least once in their life. And so that doesn't really help you if you are like a top creator, and you're really investing and or over investing. And that's why you see a lot of those creators move off of TikTok eventually, like the big, big Addison Ray and you know the D'Amelio sisters and things like that. Um, there's just not enough value for you as a creator on, on, on TikTok. Um, and then we have a YouTuber. So Drew Binsky was uh, so he's a travel YouTuber, and we we sold a ton of NFTs. He just wanted to share with his community. More importantly, we did like um, there was we did a campaign where he, um, the ownership of one of the NFTs was uh, a ticket round trip ticket to go be at his next travel destination, and so you know uh, someone I, I think the person was from Romania I'm not sure, uh, but someone not even from the U.S. was the one that ended up buying that and meeting him, right, um, and so. You know that 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 brings me, I, I think, to my last vertical that we're super super excited about in the in the company is really we're a global company on day one, right? Like Web two companies didn't really think globally until like year two or three, and even in year two or three, they went to English speaking, a global company like they went to like England, right? Um, we're talking about we have users uh, in Indonesia, in Thailand, right, in Romania, right. So um, I think that where we are today in 2022 is much different than the environment where the Web2 companies started, right? And the idea that everybody really does have a mobile device, an internet-connected mobile device in their pockets is at full scale today, right? And that's why we launched this as a, as a, as a mobile first, like a, a mobile app. Uh, the idea there was we wanted to put crypto in the pockets of every person. And so, you know, this was finally the sort of the right time uh, to do that. And so just curious, um, that NFT to, to meet this uh, YouTuber or celebrity away, sure. where, where, how much did something like that go for? Uh, so he sold the NFT for a thousand dollars. That's, that's the maximum limit currently on the mobile app. Uh, we do work with Apple, so we take credit card payments. You don't have to buy with, um, with crypto with, with tokens. And so the App Store on Apple places a $1,000 limit uh, right now currently on NFTs. Uh, or on all, I think, discrete items sold through the, through the Apple uh, App Store. 
Um, but yeah, we're, you know, we're launching a web app as well, just to give artists maybe a little extra edge in case they want to do something huge, right? So example, if Kanye comes onto the platform, I'm pretty sure that some of his NFTs will go for thousands, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, right? And so we want to be ready for that, but uh, that'll probably be somewhere in 2023. So then uh, our business um, leaders, um is this attractive or appealing for them as well, or to lend insights and build membership for their communities or, or other leaders? Yeah, absolutely, right? So like anybody, especially if you're thinking about monetization, this is, right, this is the format to, to, to really engage with. Uh, I can't, the amount of effort uh, and sort of the amount of risk that you're taking by putting it on Web2 probably really doesn't make sense, right? I think I think business influencers or business leaders would be looking for a solution like this more than anyone. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely, you know, take the opportunity of this podcast to invite, you know, business leaders and creators uh, to come on Memento and definitely, right, like um, make good content, blast it out to your community and uh, watch watch the revenue hockey stick. <laughs> That's all I can really say. <laughs> that, that, you know, that might be a nice pilot to do, frankly, I'll, we, we can talk offline about that, but that, that would be really fascinating to, to, to experiment a little bit, right? Sure. So in general, so the, the company's off to a good start. You have funding. Talk about your funding and how that raise happened and how um, successful that was. And then where you see the company uh, in, let's just say, three years and, and five years. Yeah, so we we were very fortunate. I think right like when we came out twenty twenty one, we were still sort of in the highs of sort of right this this crypto upswing, and I think there was just a lot of investors very very interested in understanding uh, or being part of Web three. Um, fortunately for us, I think the combination between my background, my co founder's background. Um, Unanimously, what I kept hearing from all of our investors is they knew we could build this, right? And uh, I think that that's the reason why, you know, our, our fundraising went well. Um, and so to date, we've raised a little over $4.5 million um, from FTX, Animoca Brands, uh, Cadenza Capital, uh, Ripple, um, Mark Pincus, uh, right, the, the founder of Zanga, um, by bit CMT. I mean, it's it's pretty much um, it's pretty much a lot of the the, the bigger funds and, and sort of blockchain coin investors uh, invest as well, um, right? And so I, I think we have the right people on the cap table, uh, and I only feel that way really because the interaction back and forth, right? The the conversation with all these investors has always been extremely helpful. Uh, right. And so I've never felt like they didn't get what we were doing or where we were going. Um, right. And so I think for us, uh, so we are going into a series A raise now. Uh, Want to wrap it up by the end of, of this year. And, um, you know, we're seriously thinking about, right, who that first board member is going to be. Right. Um, and really just have them understand that this is much bigger than sort of, hey, how much how much worth of NFTs are people buying right now, right? They really understand how big these individual markets are, whether it's Southeast Asia 
or Nina or Europe or Latin America, Africa, or the US, like they're all seismic TAM markets, right? And we have access to them on day one. So uh, I really think like this is, this is the company for an investor that gets excited about these topics, right? Because like, I, I remember that one thing that I, I always say to our lead investor, which was Cadenza Capital, is that, you know, running a social media company is fun, right? Like this is just generally enjoyable. Uh, and I want to make sure that we have partners that feel that way as well, right? That just don't see this as a way of like, hey, we get the views up, we can run ads, right? Like, um, or like, hey, or, or, or you know, why, why don't you increase your, your your market fees by five extra 5%, right? Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's simply really just things like that that I think are just, for us, are, are, are kind of basic. Um, but, you know, you'd be surprised. There, there are a lot of people that, uh, would want to participate in the upside of something like this, but have no general actual interest in something like this. And what about the market now? Obviously, NFTs have uh, swooned a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Is that beneficial or how does that affect uh, your business and, and, and your vision? I think it's beneficial in terms of, right, this is like, uh, you know, uh, sort of shaking some of the loose leaves off of the tree, right? So, for example, you're going to see a lot of those, um, I don't know, right, like newer, high, you know, high promising sort of projects um, just stop talking, right, or just just sort of stop operating. And um, it's coming much quicker than just them, I think, naturally sort of fizzling out. Um, and so I think it keeps the market in general focused on the right things, right? And so there's much less noise. Um, and now even in talent, right, we're always hiring. We're starting to see a better group of talent really emerge and say, Hey, this is what I want to do. Right. I want to work at a company that's doing this. And so hiring is much easier for us now. I would definitely say that. Um, I think right uh, on the, on the investor partner side, uh, it's a little harder for us to decipher simply because investing is always opaque. You know, you don't really know. Uh, what the investor is really thinking uh, when he says yes or no, right? And so, yeah, I, you have to spend much more time understanding, well, who is really, you know, has that 10-year focus, right? Or has that inclination towards the creator economy or really, really understands Web3 or wants to understand Web3. Uh, but I would say overall, the climate um, is good for, uh, I think, a company like us. We're fortunate enough to be well-capitalized going into this. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we have, I'd say the product is probably about 15% done. So we're super excited about all the other features that we're constantly rolling out. And we have the, um, you know, we, we, we have the, um, the, the, the capital to, to see it come to fruition. Got it. Now, what about the, the trends that are going on, the opportunities ahead and, and crypto creator, you know, web three economies. What should we keep our eyes open for? Yeah, so um, I think for PFP projects and Gamify, you're going to see a lot of attempts to copycat, right? And um, I think a lot of those are going to, right? So I think a good proxy for Gamify is general mobile development, right? Mobile games as a whole for the past decade, some have, you know, it's like every... 
five to six months, a new game comes out, gets super popular, and then just kind of drops down and then the next game takes over. Um, we might see that in crypto. I think that's a gaming thing, not a crypto thing. Uh, and so, you know, I suspect that a lot of those gaming um, groups just start to integrate crypto just cause, right? That might be, that might be a thing. Um, I think on the PFP side, right? Of course, everybody wants to be board apes, right? And everybody wants to be Yuga Labs. Um, but I think that they have done so well, raised so much money, have all the best partners that I think that they're starting to sort of monopolize that PFP zone. I, 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 I think it would be a fluke for some bigger PFP project to come out Right, just it's just one of those random happenstances. Uh, I think Yuga Labs is going to continue to pump out a lot of things, right, with all the capital they're sitting on. Um, and then I think, right, the last leg is sort of like uh, kind of what what we're doing, where you're going to see more startups maybe attempt to get into the creator economy, deal more socially. Um, the in industry as a whole is still defining what social means for Web three, right? Because to be honest. Web3 social, right, completely decentralized, is not appealing as a social thing, right? Uh, like, how do you bond the two of discrete decentralized entities being social, right, in a digital world? I don't think anyone has really solved that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think, um, I think the trends are going to lean, in my personal opinion, I think a lot of the larger companies... Microsoft, Apple, uh, of course, Facebook itself with its approach towards the metaverse uh, are going to start to have to implement these, these technologies. But it's going to fundamentally mean changes for their employees, uh, for them as a company, their investors, and their revenue models. And so that's a huge overhaul for any company, right? Like you, what you're talking about is fundamentally shifting the company, right? And so what what's the incentive for a multi-billion dollar company, a company that's making right billions of dollars in revenue to make all those changes? Uh, and that's why I think that they haven't, right? But, you know, eventually, um, right, a lot of these companies, Microsoft, Google specifically, they have so many lines of business, so many projects, right, that even if they just test in one of their own verticals, maybe they might get it. Right. Uh, and maybe that is MR, AR, you know, maybe it's uh, some sort of mobile uh, implementation. Maybe it's some supply chain tech. Right. Uh, you know, we we just have to I guess we have to wait and see that. Right. Um, but I think this gives this gives a, it's a fertile ground for startups to take ideas um, right, because people are still writing seed seed stage checks for Web three projects. I think the whole world sort of wants to see where this is going, um, because you know, I mean, to be honest, a more sort of vigorous seed stage sort of energy leads to more profits amongst more VCs. Right, we're we're moving away from the world where Sequoia and A sixteen just have everything. Right, and the more we 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 sort of fund um, these smaller projects in the seed stage, the more hands or the more LPs could make more returns. So I would I would believe that the industry as a whole is biased towards that that outcome. So I think it's just going to happen. 
Yeah, no, that, that's really illuminating, uh, Julian. What, let's just back up for a sec. PFP, just for folks who don't know what that is, can you explain that? Yeah, so that just refers to the profile pick projects that uh, started this sort of uh, NFT wave, right? So literally, it's just a static image, right? Most of the time, it's uh, sort of a facial avatar, right, from like the shoulders up. Uh, that's what Bored Apes was, CryptoPunks, right? And sort of a lot of uh, uh, these other uh, projects that are on different chains now. Uh, and I think that, right, like, sure, in 2020, 2021, we're really into the um, into the art. Uh, but what, like, what we noticed, even on Momento, we have a ton of graphic designers and digital artists. They don't just make portraits, right? Like, their 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 designs and their art is wide in its scope. And so short form video gives them a different medium to try to experiment with that. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't buy something that isn't created, right? So like if the artists want to create more, you're just gonna see more of that in, in out there in the world. Um, and so that's where we ultimately believe, right? Like what, okay, to me, right? What is more impactful has it been the Mona Lisa itself or Leonardo da Vinci, right? I think you you, you automatically know that, wow, right? Leonardo da Vinci was the guy, right? Like this was a nice drawing, uh, but wow, you know, when you see all the the rest of, of, of his contributions, I mean, it's, it's, it's mind boggling, right? So I think that we're always gonna lean towards that um, where what you see with these PFP drops is like, um, unfortunately, the, the, the creators in those projects don't even get properly compensated. They, they just kind of outsource the drawings to someone, you know, pay them a couple hundred bucks in, in a lot of cases. And then, you know, this group is just sort of off with the marketing and the branding. So that just doesn't track for me. That doesn't seem to make sense with how people think and operate. Um, so I suspect that that's probably not going to continue to happen. Got it. Now, you also mentioned that people can choose the chain they're on. And I'm just yeah. curious about what is the most popular as someone who knew Vitalik and, and is very uh, uh, knowledgeable about, you know, Ethereum, what's your, um, what's going on and what are you seeing uh, in, in that, um, in that area? Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not saying this to pump any chain, you know, sort of above the other, uh, but we're seeing a lot, a lot of traction and interest in Solana. Uh, I think that, the technical points that they talk about, their talking points uh, have done very well, right? Everybody wants faster, cheaper, right? More scalable. And I think that, you know, right now, uh, Solana seems to be like the Ferrari of the space, right? In terms of like how fast it can go, like this is you know, an elite tuned machine. Um, even though they have had a lot of technical hiccups, uh, some that have been affecting us, but yeah, by far, I think our current user base is associating us with Solana. Got it. This has been really a great conversation, Julian. I really appreciate it. But you know, what's one insight, one takeaway for for us, um, the audience, uh, that we should all know about the creator economy? Yeah. So this is insane, really, when you think about it. So currently, the creator economy is worth about one hundred and five billion dollars. Uh, they're on track to jump up to $700 billion uh, by 2026, uh, right? So that's 7X um, over the next four years, right? So that's a huge opportunity for creators, 
investors, speculators, and the fan bases, right? More and more people are just going to come online and going to have direct access to those creators, right? Uh, you know, this is your this is your inside ticket to be a Hollywood insider in the new Hollywood, right? And so, Momento, uh, we're we're trying to encourage, right, and foster that economy. Uh, you know, hopefully. Um, that 50% that I had mentioned earlier uh, comes true. I mean, we have 50% market share of $700 billion. I would be a very happy camper. Um, so let's see. That sounds good. All right. And and usually we end, uh, Julian, with with a poem or a saying. Uh, and I want to make sure I uh, asked you for the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have something uh, that... I think it's really special. I'll elaborate on it uh, after the quote. But uh, yeah, the quote is, uh, the computer can be used as a tool to liberate and protect people rather than to control them. Uh, that was by Hal Finney. And, um, you know, Hal Finney, I think, is someone who is very, very special uh, in the crypto world, uh, specific, specifically around Bitcoin. Um, so Hal used to work at Oracle. Uh, he created the pre-GP protocol for email. Right. And uh, this guy dedicated most of his later life, he's passed on uh, to Bitcoin exclusively. And so a lot of us early on um, are really, really uh, grateful for all the things that he has done. Um, right. There are there are some rumors, I think, that, you know, some people speculate that he might be Satoshi. Um, right. I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, I, I think for me personally, uh, that that'd be my bet. Um, and uh, unless Vitalik's uh, idea has changed on that, uh, he would agree. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, it's an interesting story. I think that there was actually, I think, one documentary. I'm not sure if Hal was alive when it happened, but I think Vice tried to cover it. Um, he does have a son. And um, yeah, it, uh, Hal, Hal has, I mean, dedicated his entire adult life to the things that we're working on today. And uh, just kind of like a silent warrior, he was. He lived in a in a, in a regular house, I, I believe, in Maine, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I think he's one of those people who definitely changed the world. Wow! Thanks for that um, that history lesson. That's really uh, re really interesting tidbit there. Thank you for that, and Julian. This has been a great conversation. Thanks again for uh, for joining us. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.